You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 205 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Hey, how are you guys or gals? Working hard or chilling? Are you freezing to death perhaps in the height of winter? I guess that depends on where you are on this planet right now. Personally, I am in the colder parts. I like it though. Constant sunny summer weather is a bit boring, I think. I like some variety. I am a Gemini after all. Before we get the show on the road, as they say, I want to play a 3-4 minute clip of Terence McKenna, edited together by We Plants Are Happy Plants. And if you Google We Plants Are Happy Plants or look on YouTube, you'll find more of this kind of stuff. I want to play this short audio snippet because I feel it's a very nice introduction to what I am about to focus on in this episode. And I think I've played this before, but it's so short, so you can you can hear it again. All right? doesn't have to be new, new, new every second of the day. I will never forget my first DMT trip because I was such a case going into it. I mean, if you had known me when I was 19 years old, I was into Jean-Paul Sartre, Alfred Camus, Marxism, Freud. I was a jerk. And, uh, and I came down from it. And I said, I can't believe it. That was all I could say for about 20 minutes. I was like in shock. I said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Jesus, I can't believe it. And I said, you know, I've got to go back to square one. All these people I dismissed, all these people who say the universe is made of levels, who say there are disincarnate intelligences, who say that the you know death is not simply the yawning grave i had dismissed all those people as crybabies and sob sisters and i said no you know the point of view that i previously dismissed is apparently what's actually happening so in a single experience i was converted from naive rationalism realism reductionism to my present position, whatever it is. Really, all I've done is worked out the personal implications for me of the DMT flash, and I've also tried to create linguistic models of it. Um, So the worth of it is that it shows you beyond a shadow of a doubt that the world is made of magic. That's what the world is made of. Not natural law, not interlocking cause and effect, not any of these things that are normally... The world is magic. Not a little bit. 100% every atom from one end of this cosmos to the other is magic, magic, magic.
Perhaps because I don't have any roots, the restlessness is forever in me. Although since having a daughter and building a family, I do feel more at home, staying home, so to speak. To quote myself from an old lyric I once wrote, Home should be where you've never been. This is how I feel, or at least how I felt for most of my life. There's nothing like being on the road, sometimes with a clear destination, sometimes not. It doesn't matter which uh, of those two you're doing, they are both equally awesome. Now, I have journeyed far in this world, in poverty, and I've journeyed far in wealth. Neither is better than the other. I mean, I've stayed in a rat-infested dump and I've stayed in a seven-diamond luxury hotel in the middle of a dictatorship funded by oil. Um, So, you know, I've seen all sides of the coin, so to speak. Some places I return to, some places I never want to see again. Books and blogs can tell a story, but to see for yourself cannot be competed with. For me, a journey, especially a journey where you almost feel lost, scared and left completely in the arms of the unknown, is the best life can give. And I want to call it journey rather than traveling. Traveling is like going from A to B. A journey is not like that. And when you saw the title of this episode, uh, Journeys, maybe you were thinking it was going to be psychedelic journeys, but no. This episode is about reality. (laughs) Real journeys, if you could call them that. Uh, Physical, let's say, physical journeys rather than mental journeys. Because those psychedelic journeys, they are also real. Although they're not physically real, so to speak. Anyway, that's another topic for another episode. Some years in my life I've journeyed a lot, some years not at all. Still, I journey in my mind, but like I said, it's not the same. Reality is charming. Perhaps this is why we've chosen to reincarnate if indeed such a system is in place. I don't see memories as bad. They should be collected. And I guess, in a sense, memories... Probably the only thing you can bring with you when you die. Because it's the only thing you have that is not made of matter. For each journey something new is learned. Sometimes I have to go to the other side of the world to learn something about myself. Kind of like that book The Alchemist by Paul Coelho, if any of you guys have read that. But uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to journey. But in life I also make it my intention to do so. Because some people say that I can't afford to, to, to go anywhere. Which is complete bullshit. Unless you might be a person that doesn't have a right to even own a passport. And where a passport might cost a year's salary. And you are living in a war infected region of the world 
okay, fine, you cannot afford to travel. I'm speaking now to the Europeans, Australians, New Zealanders, Canadians and Americans out there. You can't, come on, you can't afford to travel. It's all about will. Not a will, but your will. <laughs> you see, money, work and all those things only has one purpose. And that is to journey. At least that's what it was like for me. And now I have more responsibilities uh, being uh, a patriarch of the family. But I've met those people that claim they can't afford to go anywhere, and this is a lie, a deceit. Anyone in the West can arrange life in such a way that a journey once a year is possible. For those that have not journeyed so much, well, they don't need to go very far in order to experience strange lands. And neither is superior to the other. I mean, I'm not saying if you live in New York, you have to go to Japan or China. I mean, just go down to Florida at least. It's all in the experience. And the more we journey, the more we grow. These days, even the poor have a chance to journey with cheaper transportation, both in Asia, Latin America and even in Africa. The world is shrinking, yet the more I journey, the bigger it seems, the more important the world seems to be. Alchemical transmutation is a journey, and a journey can be transformative. Our existence can't be coincidence, or a chance, or or a chance, as they say in England. I can't believe this anymore. But this doesn't mean I advocate divine rule. Instead, I would say that our existence is a natural side effect of life. When that fish crawled out of the ocean all those years ago, it would only be a matter of time before it evolved to the point of being able to order a taxi with a text message on a mobile device. I only wish, in a sense, I had been born a little more into the future. Because I would have loved to journey up and out. See Mars, Saturn, if we have reached that point as a race, that is. So that's a long introduction, I guess, to what I actually want to say in this episode. Because I want to share a couple of experiences I've had whilst being on a journey. I've had many journeys and many experiences in my life, but I decided to tell because I felt, at least for me, that they contain some wisdom. And these are in no particular order, and maybe I've mentioned briefly some of them in the past. I've done uh, almost, or I've, or not almost, over <laughs> 200 episodes by now, so uh, one story that has really been important for me, or one journey, uh, was when I went to Africa many years ago. I went to Tanzania and I was on one of those safaris. And at one, I mean, when you go on a safari, you have a guide and he drives you around. And um, I really wanted to do a, a walking safari because 
the feeling of being on the ground with your own feet touching the wilderness well it's an awesome feeling and um, uh, but it costs a bit more you have to have more people and guards and it's not like it's not dangerous to walk around in the wild there in Africa because you have lions and hippos and all those animals so we took the cheaper version which which is going in a car anyway at one point we went to this place to look at some fossils and uh, the guide uh, that we hanged with every day he every day also gave us a little paper box with some lunch in it I'm not a big eater in that sense. I mean, I can skip lunch once in a while. I don't really care that much. Um, So, and I didn't really, that day I didn't really feel like eating anything. It was quite warm and water was fine for me. So I just took a bite or two out of the sandwich and there was a piece of egg, boiled egg and some fruit and all other stuff in there. And I just took a bite out of everything just to be polite you know (laughs) but most of the food like 70% I didn't touch and um, where we were you know like having this kind of picnic close by there was a a, like a huge pile of garbage and because this was a a place where a lot of tourists stopped to eat and then they chucked all their garbage into this pile so I took my box with my almost uneaten food and just threw it on this pile and turned around and walked back to the car and I heard a noise and I turned around and these indigenous um, Maasai people came up to the garbage pile and grabbed my uh, box and started eating it the contents And it affected me quite a lot because if I had known there were like hungry people close by, I wouldn't even have eaten anything. I would have just given them the box as is. Also, they wouldn't have to pick it up from the garbage, you know, I could have given it straight to them in their hand. But I did feel in that moment what some people refer to as white privilege. Some people say that's illusionary. People who've traveled and seen the world, they know that to call white privilege illusionary is a bit of an insult to half the world. And um, there's not really much to say about that story more than the fact that I wanted to share the feeling that your garbage might be what somebody else needs to survive. Now that puts stuff in perspective in my opinion. Things that you don't even care about, that you can like throw away without a care in the world, means life for some people and I find that quite disturbing in a sense 
I heard this quote, I can't recall who said it recently, but it went something like this. Uh, we shouldn't fight hunger. We should stop fighting the hungry. And what that quote means is that there are there is plenty of food in the world. I mean, there's no reason for hungry people to go hungry. The reason there's not enough food for them is because they are forced or the countries they live in are forced to export all the food to the places in the world where they have too much food so they don't even eat all of it. It's quite disgusting actually. So uh, yeah, that's my uh, little story from when I went to Tanzania, which is a wonderful country, by the way, and I highly recommend anybody that has the money or the time, there's always time, to, to check out Tanzania. Wonderful, wonderful place. Me and a friend once had an idea, and I did an episode about Vlad Tepes uh, a while back, I can't remember when. We once had an idea to uh, travel in the footsteps of Vlad Tepes III, a.k.a. Dracula. So one day, in the middle of winter, we arrived in Romania. And I'm very happy I did this trip, because it's, an, it's a beautiful country. Especially if you backpack and you go, you know, on your own across the valleys, across the mountains. And I, I haven't been in Romania. I was in Bucharest at a psychedelic conference uh, not long ago. But I haven't traveled around in Romania since I did that backpacking trip many years ago. So I don't know how much, have, how much has changed. But when I did it, uh, it felt like I went back in time felt like I went back to the like the middle ages or something it was an awesome trip and the story I want to share is actually a, a very short one <laughs> it, it was the first time I was I mean I was with my friend but it was the first time I was alone in a uh, country that was clearly not a country that was like the country I came from I mean this was deep behind the Iron Curtain. This was in the eastern parts of Europe. I mean, uh, when I did this trip, I mean, the country to the east of Romania. was it called? Moldavia? Moldova? Uh, I can't recall now. Sorry, people. But, I mean, there was a report about human flesh being sold at one of the markets there because people are poor in those areas and in Romania I mean I had street children coming up to me begging me 
to bring them back to where I came from. You know, so I saw a lot of poverty on this trip, but I also saw a lot of beauty, and it's a wonderful country. The reason I'm talking about all this negative stuff is because it's related um, to the thing that happened. And me and my friend, we were sitting in a pizza place, I think it was, eating. And we suddenly noticed that there was a couple of guys standing outside looking at us. And the Romanian men, they all often have like these thick mustaches and... You know, they have dark hair and this was winter, so they had a lot of clothes on. So they looked a bit like, you know, like covered up over their face, you know, like bank robbers, you know, because of the cold. And they were standing there and we were getting really paranoid, like, fuck, they noticed we are some rich white tourists. (laughs) And we were the only tourists in Romania, probably at that time. And so we got really paranoid and then there were a few more guys that joined this group and and we were like fuck how how are we going to get out of this pizza place without getting robbed or killed and then the bus came and we noticed that these people were waiting for the fucking bus they were not waiting for us or looking at us they were standing outside the pizza place waiting for the goddamn bus And this was an important event for me in my life because I learned something about perception. And uh, I actually projected my fear onto these people. And this happened very early on in this trip to Romania. And I must say that the whole trip after that was wonderful and Actually, the people we met in Romania, they were all nice. And even though we could have been murdered, robbed and tricked and kidnapped at multiple at multiple points during that backpacking trip because we did some stupid things and some, I mean, stupid in the sense that we put ourselves in vulnerable situations on numerous occasion, occasions. And we were drunk on more than one of these occasions. And I mean, people could have easily taken advantage of us, but they didn't. Uh, Except one time we did get robbed at one point, but it wasn't as bad as it sounds. But uh, no, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful country. I highly recommend people go there. To summarize, uh, just because you're afraid doesn't mean you have to be. It could be just a few people waiting for the damn bus what about it When I went to Gabon in Africa to do my Bewiti initiation with Iboga, there was a moment there when I was talking to one of these guys and uh, I was saying to him that I wished I had what he had, you know. Like he didn't have to pay rent, he was living freely in nature. I mean, he could do whatever he wanted. If, you know, he could fish, he could relax, he could smoke weed, 
I mean, he didn't have, I mean, he had his community. He had his skills to be able to survive in nature, and you know, I, I mean, just it just seemed so free, you know, living like an indigenous, you know, just seemed so free. Uh, no obligations. You don't have to pay tax. You don't have to need insurance. You don't need a retirement plan. You don't have a career. Yada yada yada. Um, so I said this to him, and he told me that, well. I want what you have. I want iPad, I want computer, I want phone, I want internet, I want money, I want car, I want this, I want that. And it was funny because he might have thought that, well, you might think it looks nice to be indigenous, but it's really hard work. That could be true. But I also felt that, look... It might look nice, all this money and wealth and all this stuff, but you know, it doesn't. It's not doesn't really have any value. It's just crap. Anyway, that 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 day, that event, that little chat I had with that guy in Gabon, always stayed with me. Like, um, be careful what you wish for or what you want, because it might be a curse in disguise. I don't know if there's any wisdom to this little story I want to tell you now uh, more than the awesomeness of it because w- <clears throat> I've done a lot of like journeys where I have walked in the footsteps of of X <laughs> like I said I I went on that backpacking trip following the footsteps of Vlad Tepes going to his birthplace his uh, government his castle, his, you know, all the events in his life. I did a similar thing in England where I traveled the footsteps of the Arthurian legend, you know, going to the, where Merlin was buried, Marlborough, Marl, Merlin, Borough, Grave, the cigarette brand, Marlborough, there's a city like that in England, a town. Did you know? Now you do. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, I went to Stonehenge and uh, it looks very nice when you google Stonehenge but actually Stonehenge Stonehenge is is situated in a fucking roundabout <laughs> it's like surrounded by freeways it was a while since I was there and I, I have heard that they've been doing some renovation or changing it a bit somehow I'm not sure what they've done but anyway when I went there there was a full moon and uh, I was uh, doing this trip by car. I actually don't remember how, but we managed to park the car very close to or next to Stonehenge. And we slept in the car by the full moon. And it was shining down on Stonehenge and there, there, there was nobody else there. And there's nothing else to say about that story more than I wanted to share that Stonehenge might overrated by a lot of people I mean there's a lot of cool um, Stonehengean like places in England but you know if you like I did if you're like there in the middle of the night and the full moon is shining down on those stones I mean it is pretty awesome you can you can feel 
the antediluvian like vibe. Stonehenge, where the demons dwell, where the banshees live and they do live well. Stonehenge, where a man, the man and the children dance to the pipes of Pan. I'm just sharing what I've experienced. You take from it what you will. But I remember when I went to India, New Delhi. I mean, I've seen poor people many times. I've been in poor areas of the world many times. But... um, in India, in New Delhi, it's the only time in all my journeys where I felt that feeling that I want to go home. <laughs> um, because we were looking for something, me and a friend, uh, we were traveling and we were looking for something, I can't recall what, and we got lost somehow and we just somehow ended up in the ghetto by mistake. And the thing with India, the ghetto in India, the ghettos in India is that they're not really dangerous. Maybe if you're a woman, I don't know. But for a guy, you know, they're not dangerous. They're just like heart-wrenchingly horrible. I've never, that day when I got lost in the New Delhi ghetto, I've never seen that kind of like despair before about that, that, that kind of like horrible, horrible poverty, horror, and there's no point in living and life is cheap. I've never had that feeling stronger than in New Delhi ghetto. Because I, I've met poor, you know, really poor four or five year old children all over the world, but it's only in India where their eyes lack life, you know. Like that there was one girl a street kid six years old maybe in Romania she was begging me to help her to bring her back to you know uh, to where I came from so she could have a better life but even though that was a horrible feeling to be asked that she still had like she was smiling and she had a glow in her eyes but the kids in uh, in the New Delhi ghetto I mean their eyes were dead you know, there was no hope. And I remember standing there at a, a intersection or a crossing and it's just traffic was crazy. There was trash everywhere. It was just chaos. And in front of me, there was like a body. And I'm, I swear to God, it was a dead body. Because it was laying face down in the mud and it stank like fuck. Many years ago... I was doing this like splatter movie so we were like we took a to make this effect where you uh, like stab a knife into skin we took a chicken and we like made the effect we used chicken skin to make that effect you know when we were making this movie and um, we did this during during the summer and we we were smoking our weed at the time so we left and for some reason we forgot the chicken in the kitchen and like a day went by or something and we came back 
and the chicken had started to rot and it just fucking smelled horrible like it's a horrible smell and that 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 body laying on the in the mud in New Delhi had the same smell so i'm pretty sure it was a uh, dead body and i remember when we realized it was a dead body or thought it was we were like oh we need to get the fuck out of here as quick as possible so we left and but uh, i'm not sure there's any thing you can gain from hearing that story other than like well actually there is a lot of wisdom in that story for me personally this is the thing when you do journeys i'm not sure any of it makes is any good for any listener you know uh this is the thing when you make a journey you grow yourself you get all these experiences that really influence your life and, and that thing that event that dead body in in the new delhi i often think about that when you know like the queue the line in the supermarket is long or when there's a lot of traffic or went to work i forgot my keys and i had to go all the way back to get my keys and you know when annoying shit happens and you're like oh fuck annoying i I often think about that day because it puts things in perspective you know like is it really a problem that i have to wait another five minutes before i can pay for my carton of milk not really you know I also think about it when I hear these like upper class or could be also working class people when they're talking about refugees about how like oh fuck them they come here and steal our jobs and scrounge on our tax money and you know we don't want them here you know I I often think about that day in the Indian ghetto thinking like look you racist cunt why don't you go and live there for a week and then you'll see and understand that maybe these refugees don't want to be refugees you know how can you be a refugee anyway isn't this a round planet i mean isn't it a one world When I was in Ethiopia, in the airport, there were two uh, security guards with machine guns, big guys walking up and down the hall or the corridor, patrolling, and they were holding hands. I thought that was quite funny. In Ethiopia, there's nothing homosexual or gay about two men holding hands. It's a different culture. and uh, But it's weird to see, you know. It, it looks really strange to see these like two macho guys holding hands as they patrol the airport. Uh, it looks really strange. But when you think about it, that's what it really should be, shouldn't it? I mean, imagine if we all held hands, you know. That would be a world I would want to live in.
self-deceit. How will you ever be able to construct a fully logical world thought if you are not part of the round table of divine mystery? Join us at patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. Support the podcast and you will receive all the glory of the universe, as well as my eternal thanks. You can find a link at the website. Freedom is in the mind. All of 2018 I've been doing this little mini-series of film suggestions whilst driving to work called The Moving Image in a Moving Vehicle. Here is the last one for this year at least. Enjoy! When it comes to animated films, I uh, always prefer to watch Japanese animation. And uh, many people, when they think about Japanese animation, they might have a negative view of it, because there is a lot of shit. But there is also a lot of great animation coming out from Japan. And uh, Miyazaki, the Walt Disney of Japan, is uh, a true genius, and his films are on the same level as any live-action film, you know, in terms of of depth and uh, subject matter and drama, and uh, most often better than live-action films, in my opinion. Um, but you know, this this. I'm not going to speak about a Miyazaki film or a Japanese film. The reason I mention it is because I want to talk about a Disney film, actually. Recommend a Disney film. And normally I don't like Walt Disney because, well, Disney doesn't make that many good feature films, I don't think. They've made a few, but uh, in the last 15 years, I think, uh, it has been a very low quality of Disney films coming out and you know I'm going against the stream here because many people think that you know Beauty and the Beast uh, Frozen and Aladdin and all those films are great but you know I, I, I don't think they're that good you know overrated crap however one of their most recent films, Vaiana, or as it's known in some countries, Moana, is an excellent animated film by Disney. And the reasons are many. And one of the reasons is that it is first and foremost drawn well, or an um, programmed well, I guess, because it's computer animation. Uh, secondly, it is more similar to a Japanese animated film than a Disney film in the sense that, well, spoiler alert, uh, in the sense that the villain in the film 
is not a villain just to be a villain, which is a major problem in Disney films, I think. It's too black and white. And the villain in uh, Vayana, or as you can also say, Moana, is uh, more complicated in a sense. And uh, the third reason, and the most important reason for me, the reason why I really enjoyed this film was because it is extremely psychedelic. And there is a segment in the film, well, there's many segments, but there's uh, one in particular where the, the lead character, the hero in, uh, goes to the depths of the sea and visits uh, an area where there are many strange creatures. And these creatures and the way that that environment looks gives me goosebumps because it's very similar to what I have experienced myself at times when I've been visiting the other side. Uh, also, it has this beautiful concept of reincarnation or changing body when you die, which I also like, and it doesn't, you know, when, it, when a person dies, the, the spirit comes back to visit the living, I like that. And uh, uh, but the most important aspect that I think is should be the main reason why you should watch this film, especially if you've you've done ayahuasca, is that Mother Ayahuasca appears at the end of the film. And I, I don't know if the people who made the film had that in mind. Uh, they certainly don't call it Mother Ayahuasca, but to me, that's what it looks like. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you want to see a psychedelic Disney film that's not Alice in Wonderland, then you should definitely watch Vayana or Moana. All right, let's uh, wrap up another miniseries that we have had during 2018. For regular listeners, you know what I'm talking about. The Great Mindfuck with Alexandro. This one is called Heart. Welcome to the Great Mindfuck with Alexandro. So how are you this fine morning? Uh, well, it's already uh, 1.15 p.m., so it's no longer morning. Let's talk about one of the biggest mindfucks that I've encountered in my work so far. Uh, someone else told me that uh, he knows something for sure, that uh, he loves someone or something. I don't remember the example. And uh, I asked this guy, like, how do you know that you know that you, how do you know this for certain? How can you know? And his answer was, because I don't know it in my head. I know it in my heart. At which point I just started to laugh uncontrollably. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, people uh, think that knowing with your head is in some way flawed because it's rational, but knowing with your heart will, like, show you what you truly know. And for me, 
uh, like my angle of the truth is that uh, the head and the heart are both liars and they're competing for your attention. And the head can't really think rationally and the heart even less so. And uh, they're both basically liars. They all have an angle. They both have an agenda and they're both like fighting for your attention. Come on, heart. I'm the heart. Listen to me. I, I can show you what you truly feel. And the head will say, no, I'm the voice of reason. You should like listen to logic. And, 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 and there is no real logic because it's full of logic in itself. It's like one big fallacy. And, and, and the heart is always tainted by memories and context and emotions. So, uh, you know, the whole listen to your head, listen to your heart, this famous new age slogan, like let your heart rule your head. Like you must operate from the heart. It's just a slogan. The heart is a is liar and the head is a liar and no, no, none of them will tell you like the truth because truth, as we said in one of the earlier uh, episodes, truth cannot really be said, expressed or spoken. They will both give you their angle tainted by their own agenda. Your head does have an agenda. Your heart also has an agenda, which in most cases is different from the agenda of your head. So when you're in a state of conflict, you go to some new age preacher and they will tell you, listen to your heart. Or you go to some scientist, you must decide rationally. And they're both going to give you a different brand of bullshit. And I say, listen to neither. Listen to the voice that is beyond head, beyond heart, beyond rational, beyond feelings, beyond emotions, beyond attachment, beyond context, beyond memories. Listen to that voice that is unbiased. And this voice is always there. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to find it. It's always there, but it's covered by all this noise, all this fucking annoying noise that your head gives you and your heart gives you. You're overwhelmed with thoughts all the time. You always have thoughts, 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 and thoughts create more thoughts. And then you have feelings and you want to feel more because the feelings are addictive and you want to generate more feelings. And if you can't have them naturally, then you, 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 you obtain them artificially by, I don't know, anything ranging from like uh, emotional movies or some, you know, hardcore drugs like, you know, uh, happy drugs, sad drugs, nostalgic drugs, whatever means you just want to have more feelings, more thoughts and and you just want to cover the voice, that small voice inside of you that will tell you things the way they really are or at least relatively are. Would you say you can hear this voice most easily in the gut? I wouldn't locate it in the gut, but I can uh, archetypally associate it with what people refer to as gut feeling, because the gut is is almost like a second brain. I mean, I think some people even established like a theory or a model according to which we actually do have a second brain in the gut, or at least around the solar plexus area. So uh, yes, the gut feeling, if it's not tainted by uh, by emotion or or preconceived mental notions, uh, then the gut feeling is would be a, a good description of uh, where this voice might be located. And it's just uh, if we go beyond, you know, trying to localize this voice, because basically it's, it's everywhere. Gut is just a way to, you know, put some attach some words to it. But uh, this voice, it doesn't feel like uh, information. Uh, it doesn't feel like you need to compute anything. It doesn't feel like you have to like uh, make a, a pros and cons, uh, you know, list. It doesn't have, it doesn't feel like emotion. It doesn't feel like you're uh, you feel strong that this is, you know, your 
duty or your emotional uh, uh, requirement, it's more like a very simple sense of knowing. You just fucking know, okay? You don't have to think about it. You don't have to analyze it. And this is what separates normal people from great people. Because great, great people, they operate from this place of knowing. You know, analyzing can come later. You know, feelings can be, you know, we can we can cry later, we can laugh later, you know. We can all, you know, go to a party and say, like, we, we laughed, we cried, we had a good time. But it starts with a sense of knowing. It should never start with analyzing. It should, it should never start with analyzing. It should never start with feeling, okay? Those are tools for execution. Those, those are tools that we can use in our doing. But the starter should never lie with those two big liars, the head and or the heart. It should start with the much deeper voice of knowing, for which you need no sentiments, no memory, no analysis, uh, no you know uh, future projections of you know profit and loss. Uh, you just know. You start with the knowing, and this gets me to the very interesting and fascinating paradox of the shaman or of the wizard or just of the seer. Uh, it's a very interesting paradox that uh, we have to live with. Uh, a seer, you see, always acts from a place of absolute knowing and certainty, while at the same time knowing that the outcome of his or her actions will always be uncertain and unpredictable. So that's the paradox of the seer. We act from a place of certainty, from a place of knowing, from a place of almost like a fanatical faith. And yet we know that even though we act from this place of knowing and absolute certainty, the outcome of our action will never be, will, will always be uncertain. We can never predict the outcome and yet we have to act from a place of certainty because one of the greatest enemies of greatness, and you should know this, one of the greatest enemies of greatness is doubt. Whew, that was a lot of different stuff in this episode. Uh, films, mindfucks, journeys, Terence McKenna, all over the place. But sometimes that is exactly how I roll. The Gemini in me needs variety. I'm going to gently end this episode with the beautiful track Landscape 1 from the album Landscapes from Within by Pedro Elias. You can hear more of his music over at pedroelias.bandcamp.com. Now stay nice or Santa ain't coming. See you all in a week. No Christmas holiday for the podcast. No Christmas holy day for the podcast. Ho, ho, ho. And hey, don't forget to get that... DMT molecule engraved USB with the 200 episodes of this podcast and more. Don't forget to get that. It's a very good Christmas gift and it's not long before you have to have your gifts ready. So hurry up. Anyway, you can have a look at it on naturalbornalchemist.com if you want to find out if you want to get it yourself. And it's a limited edition, so it's not going to be 
Too many left if you don't hurry up. Alright, that's it. I hope you had at least some pleasure from this episode. And if not, I'm very sorry. Freedom is in the mind.